Everybody, welcome to the Backlot Review, an official part of the Backlot Podcast Network. I'm your host Steven Saria, and today I'm joined by my friend JP. JP, say what's up. What up, my guy? What's up? So no John today, which is a relief. You guys, you guys won't have to deal with him. Um, <laughs> yep. Today's a special episode. We're gonna be doing something a little different. Uh, JP and I are taking on the seemingly impossible task of listing i don't want to say ranking because i don't think this is a you know i don't think it's possible to rank these movies at least for me but we're listing our top 10 films of the 2010s at least for me it's the films that i find the most culturally important the most influential the most um artistic and personal preference my top 10 films of 2010 and jp has his list so, yeah, I leaned a little heavily on the uh, personal preference, but hopefully it's okay. Yeah, hopefully it's, it comes out well. That's all good. Um, now, usually when we do like these kinds of lists, uh, I always know what John has because <laughs> he hates like keeping secrets. I guess so. I always know what's on John's list, but I have absolutely no clue what is on JP's, and he has no clue what's on mine. Yep. Um, Can we guess? Can we guess as to what would be on on uh, John Keg's list? The list of John Keg. The list of John Keg. Okay, so six Marvel movies for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I know that. Well, Endgame for sure because he gave that a five out of five. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm biting my teeth right now, or I'm biting my lip right now. What did you say that? Joker because <laughs> he gave that a five out of five as well. Mm. Which you know, I'm 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 split in half on that movie, but you know we don't need to get into that. Dora the Explorer has to yeah. be on that list. Did you ever end up watching that, by the way? No. Oh, you you got to get around to that. <laughs> no. You have to get around to watching that. There was a few things on that list that I, I, I thought were more important to get to. Uh, you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so whatever. We're going to go one by one ranking and talking about these films. And so there were two films that I really wanted to put on this list, but I just couldn't find a place for them, unfortunately. But they're films that hold a very special place in my heart. So I'm going to list them as honorable mentions. Um, if you have an honorable mention, JP, f- feel free to, you know, to throw that in there. Uh, if you don't, don't worry about it. But these are just two movies. Yeah, I, that actually, I, I actually don't. No films in the honorable I mention? I didn't get around to it. No, no. Okay. <clears throat> so I guess let's go ahead and start. I'll start with my honorable mentions. Like I said, two films that I really wanted to put in here, but I couldn't. One of them is 2016's La La Land. Oh, wow. Yes, that's not on my list, unfortunately. And mm. I guess those who like n- know me somewhat, I guess this might be a little surprising because I think La La Land is on my top 10 favorite films of all time. Wow. Yes, I absolutely adore that movie. But like, I feel like that movie was like created in a lab for me. Really? <laughs> yes, I love Emma Stone. I love Ryan Gosling. Damien Chazelle is one of my favorite directors working right now. I love 
Whiplash. musicals. I love Whiplash. Mm-hmm. I, I actually almost put Whiplash on this list. Mm. I was very close, but um, I couldn't quite give it the edge. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't uh, disagree with you if you if you did. That is a great film. Some of the best editing, I think, of the decade. That's his first film, right? Damien uh, Chazelle. Yeah, but Whiplash was actually a short film that he made. And then, oh, um, oh okay. And yeah, he changed it, was, it in. Okay, okay. I think J.K. Simmons was in the short film too. Get out of here. I might. I could be wrong about that, but I. Th- I th- believe so. Wow. It was either J.K. Simmons or Miles Teller, one of the two, and I have a feeling it was Simmons. But, um, mm. yeah, I guess like a studio exec saw it and they were like, damn, this is actually really good. Let's make this into a feature-length movie. And then, you know, the rest is history, obviously. But La La Land, I wish I could have, you know, given it the edge. But, like I said, I really can't put it above some of these other films. Which, I know that there's one entry in my list that is quite surprising. Mm. But, like I told you before when we first started recording, but I just can't deny, you know, the impact that that film had. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Okay. So, that's one honorable mention, La La Land 2016, directed by Damien Chazelle. I s- suggest, if you're a fan of like classic Hollywood, like 1950s Hollywood. I would, you've seen La La Land, right? Uh, yeah, I have. Oh, okay, okay. Twice. Uh, I've seen it probably like five times, six times. I shed a tear, just one tear, a manly tear each time. (laughs) The first time on the left eye and then the second time on the right eye. Uh, Dude, that year was really depressing for movies. (laughs) Oh, Moonlight. Moonlight. Um, have you seen Manchester by the Sea? Yes, I did. Um, I actually I almost put that on my list as well. Um, I went to the store. Uh, uh, I that, put the fire in the log. And, stop, dude, that scene. Stop. Oh my god. Fuck Whew. that movie's so sad. Arrival is surprisingly has some pretty good emotional beats too. Yeah, it's my least favorite um, Denise Villeneuve film. But, really? Uh, yeah. Um, very boring. Very I sleep inducing. I disagree. I disagree yeah. wholeheartedly. I think that's one of the best sci-fi films um, of the two thousands. Really? Yeah. Hmm. You see? Just just before we started, we said, you know, um, well, it was about Letterboxd, but hearing other people's opinions, it makes me want to rewatch a movie. Now I want to rewatch Arrival. Have you only seen it once? I've only seen it once. I think if you watch it a second time knowing the twist, I think it's a, it's a much better experience because I you pick up on a lot of subtleties. Yeah, I can appreciate the steps getting there. Okay. So yeah, 2016, good year for movies. So La La Land mm-hmm. was my first honorable mention. And now, going back to Letterboxd, you know, helping us discover new movies in general, there was one film that I had literally never heard of in my entire life. And I found this one day on Letterboxd. Now, I follow like 2,000 people on Letterboxd, okay? I follow oh. a shit. Yeah, I follow a shit ton of people. Out of all the people I follow, only two have seen this movie. Mm. Can't wait only, to hear what it is. Only two have seen this film. Uh, for those of you who listen to the podcast, you know I'm a fan of, a huge fan of documentaries. Um, and I fir- I firmly believe that documentaries are some of the most important, um, it's one of the most important genres in film. So I always like having some documentary presence in my lists. So at my honorable mention spot, officially, I have Alexander Monelli's At the Drive-In. Hmm. Now... 
this is a much quieter, much uh, smaller documentary. The film is about like a rule, a small drive-in movie theater in Pennsylvania, a drive-in that's dying specifically. It used to be, you know, the highlight of the town. People used to drive there, you know, from all over the state to come visit. But obviously with the rise of digital screens and movie theaters, the drive-in theaters died. Now you're starting to see a little bit of a resurgence. Um, Like there's one down in Fort Lauderdale that opened a little while ago. Right, yeah. Like I've been to only one drive-in in my life and that was like in Georgia. And I had an awesome experience. I actually saw Transformers there. Um... (laughs) Oh, funny story. You want to hear a funny story about that experience? Sure, yeah. Okay, so that was the first... (laughs) Okay, there's like... Have you (laughs) seen Transformers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you remember that scene when, um, like, Shia LaBeouf's character, like, first, like, sees that bumblebees are transforming? He's, like, in his room, like, all sweating and stuff. His parents are trying to get in. And then then the mom asks him if he was masturbating. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know what that was, so I asked my parents what that was. I was like, oh, what? Oh I was like, oh, what is God. that? <laughs> and like, I just remember, I just remember my parents cracking up. Like they at were. At the drive-in. I don't, I oh don't remember. This was in Transformers, but this was like when I was at the drive-in theater in Georgia. Oh my God. And your parents were like, oh, we're going we're to take them to the drive-in. What can go wrong? We're going to see Transformers. That'll be fine. Bro, the the were... kid from Even Stevens is in it. How bad can it be? Bro, oh my God. I, I remember them cracking up. Oof. But I, I don't remember, like, their answer. Uh, but oh, I remember God. that situation clearly because I remember, like, laughing about it, like, with my parents now that, I'm, you know, obviously I'm older and shit. But I don't yeah. know. It's just a funny story I wanted to tell. How old were you? Um, What year did Transformers come? I think Transformers came out in, like, 2009 or 2007. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I think Transformers came out in 2007. So I was probably, like, 10 or 11 years old. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I was like pretty young at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, back to that was completely <laughs> <laughs> off topic. Um, so basically, the oh film is God. about this uh, drive-in theater in Pennsylvania, specifically one that's dying. The same man has, you know, watched over it and tried to keep it alive for years and years and years, but things are looking pretty grim for him. Um, until two kids. I don't remember their names at the moment, and I'm pretty sad about it, but two kids, uh, one of them who just so happened to drive by, you know, the big drive-in theater sign, sees it, and he takes an interest in it, and he tells the owner of the drive-in, hey, like, we want to help you, you know, bring this back, like, like we love Damn. film or whatever, we think this is something that's important to the community and, like, an important piece of history, and we want to keep this alive at all costs, so we'll help you market this. And I believe the the person who owned the drive-in, who owned that plot of land, I think said that this was like the last season that they were going to have unless they brought in a profit. So this was like do or die for them. Wow. So whatever, they're trying to do this, but then they're faced with a big problem since the film industry has kind of changed into a more uh, like digital, like it's a more digital medium. films and stuff. It's a more digital medium instead of, you know, the classic 35 millimeter film prints and all that. Right. Uh, they need to buy a film, a digital projector, but they can't raise the $50,000 for it. Like mm. they, it, it was just completely out of the question. They couldn't purchase this. So what did they do? They realized that, hey, if we 
ask you know these big um, distribution companies and big production companies to send us 35 millimeter prints we can kind of bring this theater back to life by showing like nostalgic films on 35 millimeter oh so that's what they did um i think their projector is like the biggest one in america too so that they had that working for them so and where was this this is in pennsylvania it is in um uh mahoning it's called the mahoning drive-in mm-hmm. Damn. I fo- yeah i follow them on instagram and everything super cool people so whatever they give them a follow absolutely they're awesome 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 people but whatever the f- documentary and the film like at its core something that really resonated with me because it's a movie about people who just love the industry and who love movies themselves not even just making it but being around people who love it just as much as them eventually you know obviously the mahoning drive-in you know begins to pick up oh like right now it's like a huge like tourist attraction which is amazing but this is showing them you know trying like to become that and you know you see people there like dressed in costumes people cosplaying they have oh, that's cool. they have like Halloween events where they show like Halloween marathons. People go dressed up, and it's sick, it's man. just a film about people who really love film and like fighting to keep something that they are passionate about alive. And for me, that that really resonates with me. I like it. And it became one of my favorite films ever the first time I watched it. Um, I think wow. Yeah, I, I think I it certainly took a few tears out of me in, at some at some portions of it. But very nice, but very nice. Really, it's. <laughs> It's a film that inspires a lot of hope, honestly. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Mahoney Drive-In. Um, definitely watch this. I, this is on Amazon Prime. It's on Prime Video. I'm going to add... Oh, perfect. Okay, so I'm going to add it to my, my watch list, actually. Yeah, so so if you have Prime Video, definitely watch it. That's At the Drive-In by Alexander Manelli. Wonderful, wonderful documentary. Awesome. Okay, let me... All right, I got it. <laughs> perfect. You said you had no honorable mentions, right? <laughs> No, sir. Okay, so hit me with your number, I guess. I mean, like I said, there's no ranking, but just hit me. We'll go from like 10 to 1 anyways. Well, like like I said um, before we started, um, the way that I did it was I, uh, I went through 2010, 2011, 2012, so on and so forth, till 2019. I picked my favorite one of each year. And I don't know if this is the right way to do it, but whoever, who cares? Like, this is my list. Um, so You tell them, bro. Let's go. <laughs> Go off, sis. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I just picked my favorite one of each year, and then I just ranked them in that way. Like, so there's there's no like, um, like repeats of like I don't have like three films from 2016 or anything like that. So, um, just to kind of have an even spread. So my number ten is probably gonna surprise you, but um, it's the Avengers, the first Avengers. Really. Came out in 2012, and to be honest, man, like, in, I think I was in high school during this, um, there was nothing I was more excited about than these characters being on the screen. Because, you know, you know, I grew up, you know, loving comic books, and seeing these characters actually, like, being acted out by pretty big time actors like Sam Jackson's in the movie, freaking Robert Downey I mean, Jr. Sam Jackson's and all, also like, like in every movie. That's true, but like seeing him, like in the movie, like at the time, like at the time, 
like um there was Iron Man, um, and then slowly they were building the 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 MCU. And I was like, holy shit, like I've never seen a crossover of this magnitude and seeing like Mark Ruffalo of all people, like being in this movie, it's it's crazy, you know what I mean? And the movie to this day, it holds up. Like I watched it the other day and I was like, before even the the title sequence comes up, there's ten or something minutes. Not one joke. Everything is met with such severity. Every the threat is real. It's not just like laughed off. Nothing is played for laughs. It's completely serious and it's great action. Great storytelling, great setup to a great villain in Loki. Um and it's just fun. It's I think it's the first Marvel film to really or not the first, but I think it's the peak of Marvel films. Meaning like the perfect blend of fun, seriousness, action, like you know, blockbuster shit. Like it was just perfectly blended together. Mm-hmm. Right after this is a steep decline in quality, in my opinion. But I th- That's I a very still think like this is opinion. I know, but fuck it. Controversial opinions. Um, um, but yeah, man, I think I think it it deserves to be on, on at least you know top, you know action films of the of the last ten years. I, I think it's it's really good. I don't think there's been nothing's been more popular than comic book movies in the last ten years. So I had to put it on my list. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's your number 10, The Avengers 2012. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number 10, I'm not sure if you've heard of this film, uh, is The Raid by Gareth Evans. The Raid. Is that the, the martial arts movie, or am I yes, thinking of something? Yes, you're correct. Oh, okay, that is okay, the martial okay, arts okay. movie. Um, I think okay. it's Indonesian, I believe. Mm. I'm like 90% sure it's Indonesian. Where, when did it come out? This came out in 2011, so it just barely made okay. the cut. Mm. So basically the film takes place in the slums of Jakarta, where, well, well, to be more specific, in one building in the slums of Jakarta, where wow. this drug lord kind of, you know, resides in and he lets his, you know, cronies and whatnot live in this building as long as, you know, they kind of, you know, do what he says. I guess it's never really, like, explicitly stated. Mm-hmm. But one can assume that it's do illegal things for him. <laughs> and in return, he's <laughs> like, whatever, fuck it. I guess you could stay here. Mm. So this police task force kind of, you know, finds out where he is. Specifically, 20 elite cops. Uh, they find out where he is and they infiltrate the building. And whatever, they think they got him, you know, back against the wall type shit until the dude says, hey, whoever kills all these people for me, like, gets to live here for free forever. (laughs) And then literally every single person in that building, all 30 floors, (laughs) is trying to take down this task force of, you know, cops. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love it already. So the film stars Iko Uwe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's in both Raid movies, which personally, I think the Raid 2 might be slightly better than the Raid, but you, I'll, I'll get to why I put the Raid over it now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in The Night Comes For Us. He's in The Force Awakens. Oh. 
he have you you've seen the Force Awakens? I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, okay. Um, do you remember when Han uh, comes aboard the Millennium Falcon, and mm-hmm. like he's kind of cornered by two people who are like who have found him? They're like, "Hey, you owe me money," and two of them are um, Indonesian actors. And both of them were in the Raid movies. I'm I'm vaguely remembering, but yes. Well, it, it, both of them are in the raid. That's I guess kind of not where they got famous because that would be like a disservice to them. But mm-hmm. I think this is kind of you know put them like on a global you know map. Nice. Um, the film is balls to the wall, just fucking outrageous action. I love that. But it's not outrageous action like I mean that's that, let's say something like Fast and the Furious where the action is like choppy. It's kind of hard to follow. Something similar to Hong Kong action movies like the Jackie Chan films like Drunken Master and Police Story, where all the action is very clearly seen and has each one has their own like camera movement or like cut or something like that. But so it's not like shaky cam like the Bourne films or like, you know, where like in Hollywood movies, they like mask punches and like kicks and stuff like that with like cuts and and, you know, like really like sudden camera movements right okay like this movie is not that like you clearly you feel every punch you feel every kick every Mm. fucking swing of a knife or sword or machete or whatever it feels very visceral very gritty and honestly the action choreography is probably some of the best i've ever seen Mm. and for that reason alone i have to put the raid over here it has some really in my opinion iconic scenes I think there's one fight in the raid, or in the raid two that I firmly believe is the best action sequence ever. But mm. I think this film was so surprising, and it being the first iteration in this, you know, two part series, I think I have to put the raid one over the raid two. But I do believe the raid two is slightly better. Um, I just think this one kind of came out of nowhere and took people by surprise and made them say like, "Holy shit! Like this is really, really, really good." Nice. So that's The Raid, directed by Gareth Evans. It's an Indonesian film, so watch it with subtitles. I don't even think they have a dubbed version, but don't watch foreign films dubbed ever. <laughs> uh, stupid question here. Is it Raid R-A-I-D or R-E-I-D? R-A-I-D. Okay, I figured, but... So yeah. like, like raiding a building. double check. You know what? That makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely, definitely. Especially if you like martial arts films, because... Oh, dude! I, like I, I feel like this film gets really overshadowed by um, Ip Man. You've heard of Ip Man, I'm sure. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, which is a good film. Don't get me wrong. At least the first one is, and then the second one, the third one, and the fourth one. I, I don't even know how many there are now. I think there's three. They're making a fourth. I don't know. But all Mike of them Tyson after was the, in first. the third one. That's all I know. Was he? Yeah, dude. I think he's on the posters too. Oh my god! The trailer, the posters. Yeah, yeah. Does he fight Mike Tyson? I, yeah, I would have to assume it's a short <laughs> scene, though. You know, right? All all respect due to uh, Mr. Tyson. Um, um, but I feel like Ip Man takes takes a lot of the uh, the spotlight away from the raid, and I think that's kind of unfair because I think the raid is is much stronger. I think Ip Man uh, is much more emotional. And all due respect to Donnie Yen, um, that fight scene where he's like fighting all the black belts all at once mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, but I just think that the action and the fight choreography in the raid is is much stronger. Superior. Yeah. Okay. yeah.
I uh, I don't remember that movie. I mean, I remember seeing it, but I don't. Man, I can't. I saw it so so long ago. I can't remember it. But I remember having a good time watching it. So I don't know. It's not I'm bad. I'm definitely gonna watch the raid now. Yeah, yeah. I I, I definitely recommend. So. That's my number 10, The Raid, directed by Gareth Evans. JP, hit me with your number 9. My number 9 is uh, from 2015, and there were several movies I could have put here for 2015. I could have put Mad Max Fury Road. I could have put... Wait, you didn't put Mad Max Fury Road? Mm-mm. Hateful Eight, I could have put, put Spotlight, which I think is a tremendous movie, and I could have put Straight Outta Compton, but... When comparing those films to this one, it's, at least for me, personally, I think it's, it's, it's no question. I have to put the movie Brooklyn, starring uh, Saoirse Ronan and Amori Cohen. Ah, this movie's fucking beautiful, man. It's so sweet, dude. Like, it's like, it's like a throwback to, um, I would compare it a lot to Titanic. It's just a romance that you don't see anymore in films, uh, or at least in American cinema. Um, Is that the one with Dom Hawk Leeson? I'm not familiar with who that is. He's um the dude from the Revenant, Ex Machina. He's a uh, General Hux in the Star Wars movies. Yes, 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 that's him. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 in the film. He's great, man. Everybody's great. Um, I was I was uh watching it again for the second time. Eight minutes in, I'm like getting choked up. Eight minutes in, I'm like, holy! I did, like I didn't remember how like. Mm, for lack of a better word, brutal, emotionally brutal. This movie is. I mean, it it it's it's a young woman who um, travels to America to find a not so much a better life, but a different life for herself. She travels from Ireland, um, and from there she really discovers America and and or at least uh, Brooklyn, which is where she's staying in like a housing place with. Uh, honestly, don't know who. Like it, it's like a a teacher or something or. or a, uh, a woman who owns a building and there she keeps like other not keeps that sounds so messed up <laughs> but there she houses um uh young women from ireland and and she uh gives them work to do and you know helps them transition into american life and here we see what this young woman is going through we see her being homesick at first and then developing a home in brooklyn uh when she meets uh, a young man played by uh Maury cohen who's so he gives like a Brando-esque performance in the movie. It's so weird. Like it surprises me. Like you can tell he's like definitely very influenced by Martin Brando and he's fantastic in the movie. Um, and you see them fall in love and it's the sweetest thing in the world, man. Like I don't like very like optimistic, uplifting movies like that or like cheesy, Jesus. corny. Yeah, like I don't. You like, I your, don't. You like your shit depressing. I guess when it comes to like love and shit, like I don't know, <laughs> like uh, like romances and stuff, I really don't like that too much. So on paper, I should hate this movie, but seeing them fall in love, and then when something happens back home in Ireland for her, and she has to travel back, you see this. She's torn between these two homes, the new one that she created for herself and the one that she grew up knowing. It's it sounds so cheesy, dude, but it's. A wonderful movie, brilliantly acted. The only thing I will say, when seeing it a second time, it did feel a little long. But when thinking about what to cut out of the movie, I, it, I drew a blank. Like every scene felt so important for you to know who this character is and what her motives are. It was just 
awesome. And Saoirse Ronan, man, if you're listening, I love you. Call me. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I actually haven't seen Brooklyn. Uh, oh, man, you got to. Yeah, you got to. it was one of those movies that came out that year that I just, I guess, like, never really got around to watching. Which is a shame because I heard wonderful things about the film. And Brooklyn, I mean, had Brooklyn not come out, I definitely would have put Mad Max Fury Road on here. But I don't know. I just personally felt connected to this movie. I had to put it on here. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <clears throat> All right. So that was your number nine. Now, my number nine. I have two films that I kind of am trying to pick between the two. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the more recent one and get that one out of the way so I'm not, you know, like, biased or anything. Mm. But I actually have a movie from this year. I know you have a movie from this year on yours. I can guess that. Yes, sir. I'm not going to spoil what it is now, but (laughs) my number nine is Parasite. Yes, sir. From 2019. I think this film needs to win every fucking Oscar. Give it all of them, all of them, all of them. Don't even have an award ceremony. <laughs> Just send them all to the cast, the producers, everyone involved. Uh, you know they're going to give it to 1979 or 1917, oh, dude. I like, hope not. I love 1917. I think that's a great film, but there's no way it compares to Parasite. I think It's been winning everything, and I, I, I'm just depressed. I think like there's a, one movie that comes out every year that I think you can say that like it was like this film is a stroke of genius mm-hmm. and that it's like legitimate like I, you can make a legitimate claim that a film is art I, I think there's always one movie a year i'm not gonna go listing them because i have a few that are on my list right here and i think parasite is one of those films i think when you compare parasite to the rest of the films that came out in 2019 and i don't mean this like as a disservice to any of the other films because they were amazing amazing Movies that came out this year, like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Marriage Story, uh, The Lighthouse, which is fantastic and was my number one year for a long, number one film of the year for a long ass time. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems, which is fantastic. Jojo Rabbit is fantastic. Uh, Booksmart, mm-hmm. The Irishman. These are all great, great movies. But I think Parasite just completely blows it out of the water. I think Parasite does. With social commentary, what Joker thinks it was doing. Yeah. Like, people who, yeah. people who, like, are... Go off. Go off. Pe- <laughs> people, and I don't mean this, like, as a, you know, like a diss or anything for people who like Joker. If you like Joker, you like Joker. I mean, I have a reputation for hating that fucking movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's just me. You know, that's just my personal opinion. But I think Parasite takes what joker tries to do you know with the whole you know class discrepancies class warfare and you know the whole social social inequalities yeah that's the right term yes that the joker you know tries to like shove down the audience's throat i think parasite dances around that with such grace Mm. um that i think the joker just dreams of doing you know where like the joker's like hey look at me look at what i'm trying to say i'm trying to be this big important movie and then parasite is just kind of like Hey, I'm actually good, and I'm saying similar things. Like you should be looking at me. Um, mm-hmm. and and I think uh, I don't know what studio is pushing Parasite, but Parasite is definitely making a big Oscar push. And because I'm starting to see a lot of marketing for this film, 
mm. like from everywhere. Like Letterboxd has a bunch of promotional posts for Parasite, um, Twitter, Instagram, and the film is winning. It's winning its fair share of awards. I think this should be the front runner for best picture. Um, I also believe uh, Bong Joon Ho should win for best director. I feel like they're gonna give it to Sam Mendes though. Which that's not a knock on Sam Mendes. I think, like I said, nineteen seventeen is a great film, um, but I mm. think Parasite is just something special, something that comes around. Like I said, it's one film that comes out once a year that I think blows all the other films out of the water, and I think Parasite is that one. I have yet to see Parasite. You're gonna kill me. I know. Really? But I, I know. It, it is kind of hard. But... It is kind of hard to find though. At least when it like first but... came out. But it's not necessarily um, uh, because I don't want to see it. Um, I have a lot of films. I, I mean, it took me so long to see Uncut Gems. Um, I haven't seen 1917. Um, there's a lot of films that I just don't get to right away. It's just a scheduling thing. I don't really have time for most things. So <laughs> it's not a diss to Parasite, I assure you. I mean, I would get around to it. You know when you can, especially now since the Oscars are like <laughs> literally uh, a few days tomorrow. Away. <laughs> yeah, I think it's six days. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, six days. I would can't wait to be angry for that whole night. I mean, it is literally <laughs> the number one film in Letterboxd top two hundred fifty narrative films of all time. Very interesting. It edged okay. it edged out The Godfather. Yeah, you mentioned it uh, the last time that we recorded, which yeah. is insane. I can't believe it edged out The Godfather. That is yeah, that's fucking incredible. So definitely, uh, that's Parasite, uh, directed by Bong Joon Ho. That's my number nine. What's your number eight? Uh, okay. So my number eight is actually a tie. Ooh, our first tie. Um, our first tie. Uh, by the way, my chair is kind of loud. Can you hear it? Um, I literally like, just heard it creak right now for the first time. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, I have a noise gate, so. We, we'll fix it Damn, in, this, in, this in guy's, post-production. This guy's, this guy's flexing. This guy's I have a gold chair. It's a throne, actually. <laughs> I'm sitting um, on the iron throne. <laughs> uh, so my number eight is a tie between two films that came out in 2018. The Favorite and Eighth Grade. Um, I don't think there's a better crafted film from 2018 than The Favorite. Uh, Would you say it was your favorite film of the year? Clap for me, clap for me. I see, I see. (laughs) I'm snapping, I'm snapping, I'm snapping. Oh, okay, there we go. Uh, uh, I think the the story is very unique and interesting. Um, It's it's essentially a love triangle between three women in, you know, I can never tell when, what era... It takes place in, uh, I don't know, it could be the Renaissance, it could be early 1920s, I really don't know. Um, but they're wearing powdered rig- wigs, that's, <laughs> that's all I can tell you, so. Um, it's the, powder, the, the powdered wig era. There's powdered wigs and there's queens, so there you go. Uh, the queen is involved in this uh, triangle, and uh, you kind of get the sense that it's a, a dark comedy halfway through the or like the first half of the film it feels genuine the characters are very out there um 
especially Olivia Coleman, who gives, and she won the Oscar that year, rightfully so. Did she? She gives, yeah, she did for this performance. I think it's one of the best performances of the last um, 10 years. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's perfect. Um, and Emma Stone is good. Rachel Wise or Wise, I don't know how to say it, but they're all good. Um, and then halfway through the film, it just takes a turn for the goddamn worse, and it fucking gets dark, dude. And it's wonderful. It's it's. Uh, I've never seen a film where three character arcs, with with three of the most character, uh, three of the most perfect character arcs. Like by the end of it, you feel like betrayed by this person. You thought you knew this entire film, and you're like, holy shit! Like it's one of the most somber endings to a film I've ever seen. Um, that, and it's that beautiful. lines up right with your depressing. Uh, uh, your I should. I should depressing every morning. I should. Um, I should get that checked out. But <laughs> regardless, uh, <laughs> I think it's wonderful, man. I think. I think it's one of the best. Written movies, I think it's um, nearly perfect. And Eighth Grade, directed by Bo Burnham, is... I can't think of one second of this film without tearing up a little bit. It's a young girl who is going through... Transitioning out of Eighth Grade into high school. And she's making an effort to be a little bit more out there and um, not so introverted. And seeing her just trying, you know, whenever you see a kid just like, you know, just try like to not be awkward and at a time when you're just the most awkward and you're still figuring things out and you're like still scared of the world, but you still kind of feel like, yeah, I kind of got it. I, I know what the world is all about. Like, and then being constantly reminded that that's not how the world is and you're a loser or whatever the hell, which isn't the case. I don't think she's a loser. It's just she, the way she feels about herself just shines through and she's just trying to barrel through all the negativity in her school, people who are mean to her and just... Oh my god, it's it's I can watch horror movies all day and not jump, not even twitch. But seeing a film that's this cringy with so many cringy scenes of like awkwardness and like just <laughs> oh god. Like I can't get through it. Like I I watched it and and I felt so it's it's the kind of cringe you go through the entire movie that by the end you're glad you went through it with her cuz you saw this girl shine through a, a a moment of darkness in her life that you didn't think she would you know be out of and we and that we all went through to a stronger or lesser extent um we all sort of can relate to this film mm -hmm. and i oof, i love this film get around to watching it if you haven't man it's so so good i actually haven't so i always kind of really wanted to watch this film I've heard great things about it, and I love Bo Burnham as a comedian. It's depressing. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's uh, it, depressing. It's not the fact that it's depressing that keeps me away from it, but I have a hard time watching cringe things. Mm -hmm. Like the, I have a tough time with The Office sometimes. Uh, like, like, I can handle The Office. I can handle Scott's Todd's and stuff, but like, there's no example that really jumps to my head right now, but... Like there'd be some films where like I 
will literally have to close my eyes because the character does something that's so fucking cringe. Like, I will sit and watch <laughs> Hereditary 24 hours straight before I watch, like, some film scenes again that I just found cringe, you get me? So, like, mm. that's always kept me from watching 8th grade because I heard there's one scene in particular that's, like, incredibly cringe. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. And, like, that itself has kind of kept me away from it, but... I'm going to get around to it one day, maybe sooner rather than later now with that glowing review, but... It's on Prime Video. I almost watched it last night, and then I remembered, you're going to be sad, dude. Don't watch it's it. It's that sad? <laughs> um, at least for me, I just kind of connected with it a little bit more, and I kind of... Uh, those kind of things I can't, I can't watch too much of because it, it might affect me. Because I have people... You know, like I have a young niece kind of going through that now, and it's just kind of like... Oh, it's, uh, it's like, per- it's like, like personal. Like going through not ex- not exactly what she's going through, but like like growing up and just kind of figuring out the world. Like, it's just I see that and I'm like, it's a movie ah, that like no. everyone can sort of kind of relate to. Absolutely, way. but it's not like Absolutely. Manchester by the Sea levels of depressing, right? No, 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 no. Because no, that's legit just... might be the most depressing movie I've ever watched in my life. Oh, oh, like I, that. <laughs> oh my god, that's one of those. That's, that's like one of those weird movies where I'll say that the theater experience was one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. Really? Yes. Which is weird. I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't imagine with Manchester by the Sea that that would be the case. But when I went to go watch Manchester, I went to go watch it with my girlfriend, and the theater was. It was like let's say half full, and we were the youngest people in that theater by probably like, fifteen years. Hmm. And it was one of those films where it ended and the credits rolled and nobody moved the muscle. Wow. Like you could hear a pin drop in that room. And it's weird because usually as soon as a movie ends, there's some people who just get up and leave. But I think people sat there in silence for maybe like a solid two minutes where no one said a single word. Mm. No one breathed. It it felt like like time had frozen, but it had it because you could clearly see the screen like, like the movie like the credits rolling. Yeah. Um, and that's like one moment that will always stick to me because you could just feel everyone digesting what they just saw. I I really wish yeah. I could have put that movie on this list, but <laughs> <sighs> you know it is what it is. Woo! So my number s- talk over <laughs> uh, for now at least <laughs> for now. Um. <laughs> So my number seven, my number seven and my number six are both horror movies. Hmm. And I'm going to give the number seven. I'm, I'm like having this internal struggle in my brain right now. That's why I'm kind of moving a little slow, which one I want to say. But at my number seven, I have Robert Eggers' The Witch. Ooh. I love this movie. This movie is the butt of a joke for like my friend group where I stupidly recommended The Witch for like a horror movie night we were having and the movie ended and everyone was like literally like yo this is, this shit is whack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it was like one of those movies and in my head I'm like yeah I shouldn't have recommended it to these guys. But <laughs> if you're like more than a casual moviegoer or if you're like a horror aficionado, I really really truly think that this film isn't just one of the best horror movies of the decade. I think this is one of the best horror movies of all time, period. Um, I think it does the kind of 
slow and atmospheric sort of dread better than any <clears throat> other movie in recent memory besides maybe one, which is my number six. Hmm. I think the ending scene is one of those movie scenes that sticks with me. Like, I get cheers. I, I got chills down my spine when we were watching this in theater. And um, I don't know if, if I've told you this story before, but my girlfriend and I were going to watch Zoolander 2 that day. Because I'm a, <laughs> wow. I am a huge fan of the original Zoolander, though, in my defense. Um, so we were going to go watch Zoolander 2, and we're walking towards the box office and I looked to my right and I saw the poster for the witch and I had never heard of this film and all I saw was the goat on <laughs> that, that was just the poster it's just the witch with the weird font with the, like the two v's <coughs> and then the goat and I don't know what came over me but at the box office I just said yeah two tickets for the witch and then my girlfriend was like, oh, I thought we were going to watch Zoolander. And then I was like, yeah, but this looks, <laughs> this, this looks pretty cool. And my girlfriend hates horror movies. Like, she, I'll say it during my number six, but she ha- she hates horror movies. So whatever. I kind of tried to downplay it. Um, I figured it was a horror movie just by the look of the poster. So we walk into the theater, and we were legit the only two people in the theater. Great and adding to the fun (laughs) we sit like sort of like in the first like like six-ish rows so like we were in like the perfect seats literally best seats in the house Hmm. and if you've seen the witch at least in the theater you know this movie is fucking loud this it's aggressively loud um the score itself it's like it's like a lot of screeching kind of it's loud strings and like the the dialogue is hard to follow because they speak in that old timey English and like they're kind of like whispering at places, but then the score will kick in and it like makes like your ears bleed. And <laughs> I think personally it's one of my favorite theater experiences because I was I I'm not trying to make myself like sound hard or anything, but I never get scared watching movies. Like I'll not me either. I could literally watch like any horror movie and like I won't jump, I won't be like freaked out or anything. But the witch got to me this at least the first time i watched it i was fucking scared out of my goddamn mind i thought i was scared to turn around bro and then you know the last scene happens with anya taylor joy and you know i'm not gonna spoil it and i got literal chills down my spot i get i I get goosebumps just thinking about that moment I'm, i'm sure you know what moment i'm talking about i actually haven't seen the witch you have not seen the witch no oh my god please watch the witch please 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 watch the it's it's one of those movies that it's it's very divisive it's very polarizing Uh, a lot of people either really love it or they really hate it i've never heard anybody say oh it was good or yeah you know it wasn't for me it's always like love it or absolutely hate it okay well i'm one of those people that fucking adores this movie do, I know. <laughs> do do me the favor if you never watch another movie that i tell you to watch just watch the witch because i know you like horror movies yeah and like i'm scared i'm kind of like overhyping it for you now no 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 no. but i i actually saw recently i don't know maybe around uh november or something that they were actually showing it at uh coral gables uh art cinema i think that's where they were showing it were they really I think so. And that's the Fuck. best because they have 35 millimeter re- um, uh, reels and stuff. So uh, film and it's 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 a good time, man. And I was about to watch it, too. And I was like, eh, 
let me save my money. But okay, now the I, next I'm regretting time, it. The next time they do some shit like that, I will literally go watch it with you. Yeah, dude, let's do it. Um, But if you decide to watch it at home or anything, watch it without subtitles first. I know the dialogue can be a little hard to follow because hmm. they, like it feels like they speak like this for like half the movie. And it's like kind of hard to hear them. And they're talking in like super like... They're talking in... I'm talking like I'm saying that Robert Eggers wrote the dialogue to be like how they would talk in that time frame in America. Like during mm. the whole like Salem witch trials and all that stuff. So it's like old timey American. Um, oh. So that can turn a lot of people off. I don't... I dig per- it. Personally, I don't think it was that bad. Um, like it's the defi- dialogue, you mean? Yeah, like the way that they speak. Mm-hmm. Like it's definitely not to the point where it's like, I don't know what they're saying. I think some people kind of blew it out of the water. But I think it adds to that sort of, you know, it adds to the setting. I, f- I love this movie. It's personally one of my favorite endings of all time. I'm not going to spoil anything. I got I to gotta check it out. And it made Anya Taylor-Joy into one of my favorite actresses. She's. I think she's the best actress of of that generation. She's from Split, right? Yes, she's the uh, the woman from Split. She's in the Miniaturist, and she's in the new uh, New Mutants coming out. Oh yes, yes. You man, she was good in Split. She. I think she's better in The Witch. That this was her breakout role. So, yeah. So and you you like The Lighthouse, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same same director, bro. Got I liked it. I liked it a little less on a second viewing. I got to be honest with you. Really. The lighthouse, yeah. I I posted up my review on 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 Letterbox. I I it was literally a rainy night just a few weeks ago. I was like, you know what? Tonight's the night for the lighthouse. And I watched it. I bought it. I I like it was raining. It was pouring. It was thundering. Like it added to the atmosphere. But man, I I don't know. I didn't feel it the same way that I felt it the first time watching it. Um, and a lot of it is the 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 uh, the why am I blinking on the word ambience of it? But I didn't connect. I didn't connect that much to the characters and and what was going on. Maybe on a third time, I might flip back to I love it, but mm, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. So that's my number seven. JP, what's your number seven? All right. Let me head on over to my list. <clears throat> my number seven. Is a movie from 2019. Want to take a guess? 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yep. I knew it. I knew it <laughs> yep. Man, oh man. I already gave it a glowing review uh, last time we recorded, but I, I, okay, so the other day you guys posted on, on the Inside the Backlot um, uh, Instagram. Everyone, go follow Inside the Backlot on Instagram if you're not. Oh, we got a lot of cool shit in there. Shameless plug. Yes, sir. <laughs> Continue. Uh, I didn't know what else to add. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so then you guys like said, oh, what's your favorite movie of 2019? And I put, to be like kind of an asshole, I put uh, the best Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Do I, I think that. it's the best? Do I think it's the best Tarantino film? No. I think I think you can argue it. It's very it's in my top it's in my two. It's my number two in my top uh Tarantino films. Um number one obviously being pulp fiction. And if you think I'm being a basic bitch because I put pulp fiction in my number one spot for top Tarantino movies, fuck you. <laughs> Not you specifically, Steve. <laughs> Not you. 
Um, it's it's genuinely so goddamn fun. I would compare it uh, to of all his other films. I compare it a lot to Jackie Brown in the sense that it's just awesome dialogue, awesome characters. Good comparison. It's it's not as violent, but the violence when it does happen shocks you in in a way that you weren't expecting. Hateful Eight, um, Kill Bill, um, Pulp Fiction, er, to an extent, Pulp Fiction, uh, Django, Glorious Bastards. There is an overtone or undertone of, hey, there's going to be some violence in this film because we're in, you know, World War II or whatever, you know what I mean? There's, you're sort of expecting it. And when you're watching that Tarantino film, you're thinking, okay, how is the violence going to shock me? When you watch something like Jackie Brown or you watch something like this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the violence is so jarring and so exciting. You weren't expecting it, and it adds so much to the film. But beyond that, the violence, and not to say that the violence in this film, the, the, the climax in this film is, is uh, you know, bad or anything but it's my least favorite aspect of the film i was so hooked to rick dalton's struggle to sort of find relevance in his passion uh again um and for cliff booth to just like honestly cliff booth could have just been like an hour or two of just him just like sitting on a lawn chair drinking beer after beer after beer and I would have still found the way to enjoy it because it's so captivating. Like this character is so cool. Like he's probably one of the, the coolest characters of the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, the Margot Robbie thing is kind of, you know, I go back and forth on it. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I do hate it. But I genuinely, I find peace, no, or not peace, I find it to be um, uh, necessary for this story. It's a shifting of the, of the guards. It's a shifting of, of eras. And you see this in the middle of this transition. For all these characters, there's, there's so much of value there in the dialogue. Like the struggles and stuff. Um, and I don't know, man. It's just a movie about generations and like just being around old 60s Hollywood is, 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 I don't know, man. It's just, I love this film. It's one of those things I can't describe. Like, same thing with Jackie Brown. Like, do I care about, you know, to, a, to an extent, yeah, I do care about, you know, Pam Greer's um, struggles here, but I just like hanging out with these people. Like, Tarantino makes these characters to be so likable. Even the most horrible ones, you find some charm in. Like, you find them to be at least somewhat likable which makes the whole thing like so fun to, to watch, you know? So once upon a time in Hollywood, I know it's an, it's a unpopular uh, opinion to have, but I think it's, it should win the Oscar this year without a doubt. The best picture Oscar. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know yeah. what? I think Parasite should win. So that just goes to show, man, differing opinions. Yeah, I know, man. Even I feel like I was you have the wrong there. one. And <laughs> 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 um, no, I'm kidding. I, I okay. love that movie. Um, that's okay. Uh, I know a lot of people who don't, but, you know, to each their own. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I know. I think, I think it just, you know, people expected something that uh, 
you know, they see Tarantino and they think they're going to get, you know, heads being chopped off and shit. Yeah, and then they got a slow, a slower movie and, you know, mm-hmm. it turns people off. But I love it, man. Uh, I do too. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of his best. I think it's better than Hateful Eight. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Perfect. So that was your number seven, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My number six is another horror movie. You'll probably guess what it is. Do you want to take a guess? Uh, what year? 2018. Oh, 2018? Uh, actually, oh, Hereditary. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Hereditary is my number six. Now, what I was going to say during The Witch uh, about my girlfriend, my girlfriend almost walked out of Hereditary. Um, (laughs) The last 30 minutes, she had her eyes closed. Like, she literally doesn't know what happens in the last 30 minutes. (laughs) I think this movie is... uh, I think this is peak horror. I think this is, in my opinion, my humble inside the backlot opinion, this is the best horror movie you can make a case that this is the best horror movie of all time i know you have classic films like the witch um like the exorcist i think a film like the exorcist is kind of a product of its time um Mm. where it's like so ingrained into like pop culture where it kind of loses its shock value um i would agree i think just everything about this film is from its atmosphere from its tone from its characters um, the fact that it doesn't rely too heavily on jump scares, I think it's just such a moving horror picture, and it's incredibly unpredictable. I think going into this blind is an incredibly rewarding theater experience in and of its own, because about 30 minutes into the film, you're already like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And then the last 30 minutes of the film, you're like, okay, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh, I think Nat Wolf delivers a really solid performance. Yeah, man. The kid from the Naked that Brothers that was, band. Who would have yeah, thought? I didn't know that that was him until like halfway through the movie. I was like, who the hell is this kid? He It's bugging me that he looks so familiar and I can't like place it. And then when I Googled it, I tell you, I just, I almost fell out of my chair when I, when I saw who it was. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it's, he's awesome. Um, I think it is a travesty and I would never forgive the academy for not giving tony collette a nomination for um for best actress i think she should have won i think she legitimately should have won the award Mm -hmm. um i think she delivers arguably the best performance in a horror movie ever um you could put her up there with drawing a blank right now Uh, the the girl from the exorcist actually she's i forget her name but she's fantastic i i I was gonna say shelly duvall actually Shelly Duvall, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, shame what happened to her, but... Uh, yeah, I was going to say it, but... She, she catches a lot of flack for her role. Um, I know a lot of people don't like her performance. I think, she, personally, I think she gives the best performance in that film. I think it's iconic, man. I think she gives a better performance than Jack Nicholson, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but I think Tony J- Collette... Jack Nicholson's great in it, but, but I mean... Shelley Duvall really does bring something out of it, like true horror out of it. True horror and and, and disbelief, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think Tony Collette should be should be up there with with the pantheon of great horror performances. Um, you could put Jodie Foster up there. You could put, oh my God, uh, Ripley from Alien. Oh my God. Yes. I cannot yes. believe I'm drawing a blank on her name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, there we go. Sigourney oh Weaver. yeah yeah. So I mean. This this is a great film. I still have not seen Midsummer yet. 
but hereditary if if you do love hereditary i do think that there are going to be um and again you know you're different from me i can't speak to what you like and what you don't but i think you'll find a lot of like a lot to love in midsummer i think you should check it out hmm yeah i'm, I'm definitely i'm gonna check it out so um mm-hmm. that's my number six hereditary ari aster 2018 what's your number six Boy, oh boy, my number six. The same way that you um, had a uh, polarizing film in The Witch, um, I have a polarizing film here. 2011, there was a little film called Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. Excellent. And I'm going to start it. This is the first of many trends that are going to appear on this list. This is the first of three Gosling films. So really, yes, sir. Gosling, man, he's doing something that um, we have seen before in Brando, um, in Sean Penn, even, uh, but to an extreme extent. Like he's doing this quiet, subdued thing that I've. It, it honestly it throws a lot of people off. He's uh, a nameless driver, getaway driver, and stunt driver. Um, stunt driver by day, getaway driver by night. It's pure cinema. It's just a guy, you know, finds trying to find a way out of this lifestyle, this horrible lifestyle, um, and he wants to find a way out of it in and find a better life for himself and actually be the good guy for once which um he actually did an interview gosling did where he considers his character to be somebody who watches too many movies um <laughs> and he he um he sort of is delusional thinking that all his 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 past can be erased like when you see like any other movie where a bad guy turns good it's like even recently, in, in a more ridiculous sense, um, Kylo Ren in, uh, uh, why am I blanking on the name of the last Star Wars movie? Um, the Rise, Rise of Skywalker. Of also yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. like super bad and not memorable. And unmemorable. <laughs> <laughs> like, even then, like, it's like, okay, yeah, why are you giving him this redemptive moment in this? It's ridiculous when, you know, he's had years of really shameful, horrible things that he's done. And this film shines a light on that. Like, yeah, this is a, a beautiful, glossy 80s style. The soundtrack is amazing. Like, it's a beautiful film. Like, it's the best LA has ever looked on film, in my opinion. Um, but yet, this is a real story. This is a guy who is um, in a shitty, shitty life. He's doing bad things. And just because he sees an opening to a better life, it doesn't mean that his bad isn't going to get tainted on her or whoever. Um, And the soundtrack, visually, everything about this movie is iconic. Um, Brian Cranston is wonderful, man. He he gives probably his best performance outside of Breaking Bad. He's the most sympathetic character in this. He's the one who actually doesn't feel like 
a movie character where everybody else's dialogue is like um, uh, very stylized and movie-fied, I guess. Um, and it's not very realistic, but it is, it's, it's got a lot of fat trimmed out of it. And it's almost like a music video in a sense. And a lot of people see that and it's, it, it turns them off. They think, what the hell am I watching? I thought this was like an action movie or this and that. Like people thought it was way too slow, way too boring. You know, Gosling had a total of like, I don't know, 14 lines or something in the whole movie. And it's, it's, I know it's, it seems like nothing's going on, but on a deeper sense, there's a lot going on. Um, I love this film. I love everything about it. It basically opened my eyes to film. I actually saw this movie like in 2012 or 2013 or something. Um, I saw it a little bit. So like later. right around the time it came out. Uh, it came out in 2011, but it did come out. Uh, it came out in 2011, but I didn't actually get around to watching it until like 2013, 2014, around there. Oh, okay, okay. And then that's what really opened my eyes to like actually like what is going on here? Like I wanted to analyze the film a little bit more. And it's the first film I ever watched that I felt like, wow, like. I love film. I want to keep watching movies that are like this. So it kind of created my taste for the future films that I like to watch. I love Drive, man. I love it, man. Hmm. Drive, that is a great, great, great film. Um, you can make a case that Ryan Gosling is the definitive actor of the decade. I, you know what? Yeah. I I, I don't want to be biased, man. He's my he's my favorite actor, but I, I mine um, too. I love Ryan Gosling. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know who you would put above him. Maybe there's somebody that I'm. I'm you can't. You but. can make an argument uh, for Leo, especially since he won the Oscar this year. And I know he had The Revenant. He had Django Unchained. He had um, The Wolf of Wall Street. But I think Gosling has the volume over him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those roles are such variety. Like, I mean, look, you have La La Land 2016. You had a Blade Runner 2049 and 2017. Drive 2011. The Nice Guys, uh, The Big Short, First Man. First Man, yeah. Um, Only God Forgives. Um, the Eyes of March came out in 2011. Those are all... Place you know, Beyond the Pines. Place, Place Beyond, Beyond the Pines. Pines is probably my favorite uh, Gosling performance. That guy is... Man, he, oof, that's that's a Brando level performance. That is a Brando like, level performance. Fantastic, dude. I think Crazy Stupid Love also came out. Yeah, 2011. So you could put that in there. I think he is he is the actor of the 2010s. I would, I would make that argument. I'm stating that on the. You heard yeah. that here first inside the Backlot Podcast. Ryan Gosling is the face of the 2010s. Yeah, and you're gonna hear this first too. I agree. Boom. There you we got go. a problem? It's official. Talk to us. It's official. That's from my boy Ryan. <laughs> so, good number six. Now, this is when my list... These are like the five films that I knew were going to be on my list. The other five I kind of had to think about. You know, I, I kept moving them around and whatnot. But these are the five. Hmm. And at my number five, I have Mad Max. 2015. Woo! Yep. That's a banger. I think it's a banger, dude. I think this is the first I think this is like a movie where like cinephiles like watched and they're like damn, I guess action movies can be pretty good. 
um, and not just mm-hmm. like mindless action. Um, I think Mad Max is perhaps the best example of an action film using visuals and details to tell a story rather than dialogue. Because I think like I think Max only has like bro, what like maybe like I'm exaggerating, but like ten speaking lines. He barely talks in this movie. Um, yeah. At least I feel like. Um, and I think it does a great, great, great job of using its visuals to tell a story. I mean, the the story is literally everyone drives one way and then drives back the other way. But <laughs> I think if you really look deeper into it and you really sit down and watch the film, you can take so much out of it. And now I'm a sucker for world building. I love movies where they sit down and and obviously it's not this world that we live in. But like movies like Lord of the Rings... Um, um a show like game of thrones before season seven came around um (laughs) a film that really sits down and says look we're taking you to this world look at what we've built and i think mad max is one of the most surprising in a way it's like it's like australia I feel like mad max is like i feel like mad max is what people think like australia like the fucking outback is oh (laughs) Um, dude, I love that movie, man. It is, it is a great movie. It's, it's just fun. It's, it's just a, fun. It man. is a fun fucking movie. It's literally just nonstop. Big people on big cars, lots of fire, lots of yeah. screaming, lots of people eating paint. It's um, just sick, dude. It it's is. like they sat down and were like, you know what? Let's make this action movie, but let's just go balls to the wall. Like, let's just throw everything at the wall. Let's make it like crazy. You know I feel like I mean? George Miller um, and, like, the writer's room, they were, like, it was just, like, a constant game of, like, trying to, like, one-up each other with, like, crazy ideas. <laughs> and then they all just kind of, like, yeah. like, threw it together. And then, but, like I said, I think the real strength of this film is just how well it builds this world that these characters reside in with such little dialogue. Um, and I am of the opinion that it's arguably the greatest action film of all time i think you could i think you could put this up there with um die hard you think absolutely if we're talking all time i would probably put this above die hard Mm. if i'm if i'm being completely honest i would put this above die hard um i wouldn't put it in like legendary (laughs) status like the indiana joneses and whatnot um but i think this film holds its own with those other ones I mean, I five years later, and we're still, like, considering it to be one of the best of all time. And I think we should, you know. A- absolutely. And I, I think uh, one of the, like, um, um, I guess, like, biggest things about this film, and I think one that really reiterates my point, is that I think this film came out pretty early in that year. And no one was kind of, like, really looking forward to it. Because, I mean, I don't think people really wanted a- another Mad Max but then the trailers started coming out and people were like, damn, this actually looks pretty interesting. <laughs> and then the film came out and people were like, yeah, this is the best film of the year. <laughs> and and it was like it was like March or April. And then December came around and people were like, no, yeah, it's still Mad Max. Because like, yeah, remember, dude. like this year, I mean, people were saying it was The Lighthouse. Um, people were saying um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then Parasite came around and kind of shut all those conversations down. Mm-hmm. Um, Mad Max did that like in the first like three months of the year if <laughs> I'm remembering correctly I could be wrong I could be I remember it did come out a little early yeah early in the year but um 
I'm actually doing my research right now. Yes, you see, I was yeah, right. Yeah. May 15th, 2015. Dude, Which, that is pretty early. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it in the theater the, the day it came out. My biggest regret is I didn't watch this in theaters. Oof. Yeah. Man, it was fun in that. Dude, everybody went. It was like a, It was like we were watching Endgame or something. Like, it was crazy. Like, it was it was bananas in there. Like, everybody was so into it, man. Like, if there's two films that I wish I could, re- I could rewatch in theaters would be this film, Mad Max Fury Road, and Interstellar. Just for that, that do- yeah. just for that docking scene. Oof. That's literally the only reason I want to watch that film. Um, I wish I had seen it. Uh, was it playing in IMAX, Interstellar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did? That yeah. was like the main, that was like its main draw. Like, hey, watch this in IMAX. I so, think I saw it with Josh. I think that's the first movie we ever saw together. Oh, hey, really? Josh. That's cute. Hey, Josh. Um, <laughs> so that's my number five, Mad Max Fury Road. What's yours? Um, so my number five is a tie. The second tie of my list. Ooh. And there could not be two more different films to share this spot. 2010's Blue Valentine and 2010's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Scott Pilgrim, really? Yeah. That's, um, pr- my, that's probably my least favorite Edgar Wright movie. I think it's my favorite Edgar Wright. Oh, no. No. I love... Uh, I would put, obviously, Shaun of the Dead. That's Edgar Wright, right? Yeah, yeah. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz I don't remember too much, but I think Scott Pilgrim is is a extremely original film. Um, original, I know this is based on, like, a... a what is it, a manga? Or a, yeah, I think it was just a graphic novel. Or a graphic novel. Um, so they had, you know, they adapted it, but I think the way that they did it to the screen was... Uh, phenomenal i think it was a i think it's flawless i think it's a film that i've seen over five six times um i enjoy it every single time i think the characters are wonderful i think the the visual effects obviously are fantastic um and very original the way that he blends video game and comic book sort of um visuals to the movie um is 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 unprecedented unprecedented i think the first time I saw it, I actually went to um, the theater, went to Main Street. You've been to Main Street, right? Obviously. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, it's like the worst went- theater ever, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, nostalgia. Yeah. Um, so I went there. I forget what other movie I went to go see. But I was like, you know what? I finished watching that movie, and I was like, I don't want to leave yet. So me and uh, I forget who else I was there with. We just snuck into the next theater. And we were like maybe like 10, 20 minutes into Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I was hooked. I was like, what? Like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The humor was so original. Like the 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 jokes, everything about it was just perfect. I I had never seen a film like that before. And that was the first time I ever like I think that was like the first um non, you know, action, non, you know basic movies that like 10 year old or or how old was I when this came out like 15 year old kid would be watching you know I I was like oh there's other movies besides like <laughs> Transformers or whatever the hell like I was watching 
um and it and it it expanded my um my um my love for films and i was like holy shit like what else has this person done and then i saw Shaun of the dead and all that stuff but scott pilgrim i think is is it's a great concept i think michael Sarah kills it um it's jarring to see him <laughs> kicking people's ass and stuff and and like like confidently uh the fight scenes are cool um i think yeah, i think man. you have i think you just really like movies where like really awkward actors just like kick people's asses yeah i mean you had <laughs> yeah, um yeah. what was that that the art of self art of self defense you have a scott program versus the world yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I just really, I, I like that. I, I like to, I like to see that juxtaposition, like of, of, or that contrast rather of, of something or someone that you wouldn't think would be capable of something doing that thing. You know what I mean? Um, I just love it, man. I love, uh, Mary. God, what is her name? Mary Elizabeth. She's Ramona Flowers. I can't think of her. Of her name, her actress. Damn it! What is her name? Is it um, the girl who's in Sky High? Yes, the evil um, one. Yes, it's um Mary yeah. Elizabeth Winstead. Yes, Winstead. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Winstead. She's great in Ten Cloverfield Lane. She Fantastic. is. That she is amazing, and that's a great fucking. So movie. good. That's also another great movie that came out in twenty sixteen. Uh, twenty sixteen. Yes, I, yes, yes, yes. I think so. Something like that. But man, she's good in it. She's good in it. Scott Pilgrim. Michael Sarah, obviously fantastic. Um, it's just dry, funny, witty humor that I I blended with like comic book shit and video game shit. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. Uh, very hipster. Very. It's it's very much a hipster movie. It, um, it is. And on the opposite side of this is, in tone, is uh, Blue Valentine. Uh, it's it's. <sighs> It's a sad movie. You know I love me some sad movies. I know, you love your uh <laughs> you love your sad shit, bro. <laughs> um uh, I think it's it's a story about some uh, a couple falling in love and falling out of love. You see them through their most intimate moments when they're discovering this new thing and when they're sort of discovering that there is this non-existing love anymore um and the way that it's told is brilliant because you see you know you start off you know with them now currently and then you head back to uh the time when they meet each other and stuff and then when they're young and then you cut back to when they're older and then back when they were younger and it's it's it keeps going in and out of 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 those two different points in their lives and I think the performances are wonderful. Again, Gosling is 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 just in a way that I've never seen him before. You know, you half of this movie when he's a younger guy, you're like, oh yeah, this is Gosling. He's cool. Like, you know, the, his typical Gosling stuff. And then when you see him when he's older and he's sort of uh, too comfortable, um, he's a drunk. <laughs> he smokes a lot. Um, he finds no purpose. He has no purpose. He's not driven at all. Um, seeing him play that kind of character, that kind of deadbeat character who loves his daughter, um, is 
strange and surprising and wonderful. Um, and Michelle Williams, my God, man, it's a great one of the great best actress, best actress of of. That's another person who we can make a case of being one of the best actresses of the past ten years of the twenty tens. Um, their chemistry is off the charts, man. Um, you really believe that they are madly in love, and then you also really believe that they are they just hate each other or they're just trying to piece together this thing that's just bursting at the seams you know um uh it's sad i kind of i genuinely am getting a little sad thinking about it uh but it's it's i think it's a it's a it's a wonderful film to watch maybe not with your significant other other maybe uh but it's it's one that's a that's important to watch if you're in a relationship or you've been in a relationship for a long time or maybe you're falling in love with somebody now or it's it's something of a it's somewhat of a cautionary tale i would say hmm interesting i saw i actually haven't seen it i have it on my watch list i've been meaning to get around to it if you um. if you got some some hours to be sad and just be alone and cry maybe a little bit. If you have like a four-hour window where you can do that, then dude, by all means, do it. Other than that, don't do it. If you have to <laughs> see people afterwards, don't do it. <laughs> it's one, so it's one of those like watch at 12 a.m. kind of things. I think so. I think so. Okay, fair enough. So this is where my list, these next three, I guess can kind of be rearranged in any order. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and put small little film came out in 2012. I don't think many people, um, have heard of it. I think out of all the people who I follow, like I said, I follow like 2000 people, only like a hundred of my letterbox followers have seen this film, um, is it's such a beautiful day by Don Hertzfeld. Mm. It's probably one of the toughest movies that i've ever seen it's basically about a man who discovers he has cancer well okay man is not the right term so this is basically an animated film where our main character is like a stick figure Hmm. and it's kind of weirdly animated but in a good refreshing way it's not like a typical animated 2d or 3d movie with you know these 3d models and stuff like toy story or anything it's literally like a little stick person you know walking around stick buildings and whatnot and the whole film is narrated it's there is no like normal dialogue it's you know his internal monologue kind of um the film is basically well, originally, it was three short films. Um, mm. It's Such a Beautiful Day is all three of them put together. And it's basically someone learning that they have cancer and going on this huge existential crisis, um, or better said, existential emptiness mm. is more like it, where he starts questioning, you know, life and things everyday things like what is it to be alive like where is my place in the universe um who am i kind of stuff you know yeah um i think it's really moving it's it's very 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 emotionally and psychologically moving um and i think it's a, it's a testament to the film and to the writing 
itself making a movie this impactful with with stick figures. Um, I think I, this movie made um, Don Hertzfeld into one of those actors where I will literally watch anything he puts out. Um, and all his movies are in this like weird sort of like you know stick person style. Um, but I like it. It's it's refreshing. It's fucking brutal though. It is a brutal brutal watch. Um, then you know I'll love it. <laughs> it is. I, I honestly I think you would really 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 like this movie. I know it was on Netflix. Yeah. Um, when I first watched it, I don't know if it's still up there. I hope it is. It's uh such a beautiful day. Um yes, it's such a beautiful day. 2012, directed by Don Hertzfeld. Um, I don't use this term often, but I legitimately think that this film is is a masterpiece. Um, and the reason it's not number one on my list is because... Well, I'll make the case for those other films, but um, I think this film is genuinely a masterpiece, and I think it is the best animated film of the decade. Like, by far. Wow. I, don't th- I don't think it's really close. Wow. So, yeah, that's my number four. What's yours? Ooh. Um, my number four is 2014's Whiplash. Nice. Dude, it is probably... Uh, man, I don't... It's just... Everything about the film is inspiring. It's just about a guy that you don't realize uh, until the end has a lot to do with. Um, so the, the protagonist has a journey. You've seen Whiplash. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not explaining the Whiplash to you, but uh, it's um, it's it's a guy who's who's just who has a dream. And anytime a film shows me a guy who has a dream and he's, you know, and will literally and do a, anything to get there. Yes, and it's and it's a dream that very few people have and will go for because of how crazy it is and he's still going for it and he's just working his ass off to to get it you know he goes from thinking oh i'm pretty good and feeling very confident in himself to being thrusted into like the like being tested by one of the hardest motherfuckers that i've ever seen on film (laughs) literally played by jk simmons um it's it's wonderful man to see like this guy just struggle to, to reach the pinnacle, to reach the pinnacle of excellence. But then you don't realize this until halfway through, maybe, that this teacher, who you think is the antagonist, wants the same thing. He wants the same thing from uh, Miles Teller. He wants him to reach that goal. But he he knows that the only way to get there is to push him Deep, deep down, find something in him that awakens that fucking greatness. But it has to come out through like chipping away at 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 this shit. Like, and it's probably one of the best and most inspirational films I've seen. Like, anytime I watch it, I just feel like I gotta get some shit done. Like, I'm not pushing myself <laughs> it's so, hard it's enough. It's so mo- it's so motivating in like this weird it fucked is. up sort of way. It is, man. Like, and I know, like, seeing J.K. Simmons being like, you know, oh, you're one of those fucking single tier <laughs> motherfuckers. Like, like he has so many good lines. Like, and he's throwing symbols at his head, and he's like throwing chairs at yelling, him and shit, calling people fucking pigs and shit. You're just like, holy shit! And he, like, you see J.K. Simmons 
Like you know, he went in there like I'm not fucking playing around. And he's I'm and he's the wearing Oscar. and he's wearing that super tight black shirt. He looks fucking massive. S- yeah, dude. And you know he's not. It's just a shirt. Like <laughs> I, I don't know, man. He um, looks pretty swollen. That. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, he's one of those guys that I don't know how tall he is, but I wouldn't su- be surprised if he was like six two or like five four. Like you just, I don't know. Um, it's very accurate. But he's oof tore the force performance by by J.K. Simmons, and I think he overshadows Miles Teller a little bit. But I think Miles Teller is really great. I think he's a really good actor. And I was listening to the the podcast you guys did um, last week, and you guys were talking about Miles Teller. <laughs> and yeah, man. And I was like, for for some of the performances, I kind of agree. Like. Um, you heard me shit on him say how much of a douche he looks like yeah he, he does have a punchable face i'll give you that he <laughs> awesome actor he, no chin uh he <laughs> that is that is you're right that's what that's it is. the thing that's the oh thing. my but, god but if he did have a chin he'd look like he'd look like the crimson chin you know what i mean you just like, blew, you just blew my fucking mind that's what, that's it, what is. it is <laughs> miles teller He's... has no chin yeah Dude, he's so good in this movie, and he's good also in uh, in uh, Bleed for This, which is sort of in that same vein, but it's kind of like you know a typical boxing movie. But it is kind of fun, and it is uh, it is a great performance that he's giving. Um, still, Whiplash is better, and I think, man, if you're ever in a rut, if you ever feel like, ah, you know what, I'm not gonna really, you know, I'm not gonna study this today, or I'm not gonna work on that project today, watch just 10 minutes 15 minutes of whiplash and you'll be like oh well i'm i'm complaining for no reason like i really can push myself harder like um it's just one of those movies man like i i think it's perfect and for that to be like his first damien chazelle's first um feature film besides his uh, short film i think it's it's one of the best debuts um in a very very long time um i would say it's one of the it's it's comparable to citizen kane orson welles's debut yeah i just it's just it's just simple man it's just simple and i don't love citizen kane but like i understand its importance in in cinema arguably the greatest film ever made arguably very strong arguably i I would argue it (laughs) uh that's my number four you want you want whiplash. two whiplash fun facts? Hit me with it. Okay, so the first Whip one. It. Ah, I see. <laughs> so the first one, J.K. Simmons has won forty-seven awards for his role as Fletcher. What? Forty-seven awards. Is that unheard of? That is <laughs> fucking insane. Forty. God damn. Jesus Christ. And now the second one. Um, during some of the more intense practice scenes, uh, uh, Damien Chazelle wouldn't yell cut so that Miles Teller would keep drumming until he exhausted himself. Holy fucking, what an asshole. (laughs) Miles Teller must have been fucking exhausted by the end of some of those shows. Yeah, it shows. I think, bro, hey. Wonderful. You know, whatever gets the end result, right? It's wonderful, man. At least he wasn't like beating him and shit. Well, we don't know. Well, we don't know. Um... (laughs) That information was not disclosed. <laughs> so my number three. And, uh, mm, okay, yeah. I had a little internal struggle right now. My number three is Moonlight. 2016's Moonlight. Um, it's a good choice. Admittedly, 
I didn't like this film that much when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked it, but I never really... I mean, I had seen La La Land first, so like La La Land was still like fresh in my mind, and I was so moved mm-hmm. by it. So like, I kind of like put Moonlight to the side a bit. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I rewatched Moonlight during one of my film classes, um, where my professor, you know, sat down. He said, "You need just rewatch Moonlight." And I think that's when it really hit me that films or at least that this film in particular was more than just a film. It was a legitimate work of art. Right. Um, and I think my number two might piss off a lot of people because Moonlight is my number three. Um, mm. But I think Moonlight is is one of those films that it goes beyond the medium. Right. Um, it's one of those films where it's it legitimately does feel like a painting. Um each frame is so meticulously well framed um <laughs> i think the use of color in this film although the contrasting blues and purples i think is is beautiful i think it's use of motifs like um for example water being this huge transformative thing uh during this the main character's uh different points in his life like, you know, you have the beach scene, you have him um, washing his face um, in the sink um, in the second part after that. Um, I think it's very, I think it's a very beautiful film. I think the story yeah. that it tells, the messages that it's sending, um, I think it's very earnest. Um, and I think the film, it's it's weird, it wears its heart on its sleeve. Um, I think Barry Jenkins kind of made himself a director to watch with this film. Uh, however, I still didn't see... I, I haven't seen his second film. Um, came out last year. Fuck, I don't I, I don't remember the name right off, off the top of my head. Uh, if Beale Street Can Talk? Yes, yes, yes. There we go. There we go. If Beale Street Can Talk, which I've been meaning mm-hmm. to get around to. I just haven't, you know, done it. Um, but I think Moonlight is one of those movies where I, 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 think, it's le- I think it's legitimately perfect. Yeah. I don't really see a glaring flaw in this. I think Mahershala Ali is amazing. I, I just wish we could have seen more of him. But, you know, I understand, yeah, you know, it's, it's place in the story and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Janelle Monet is amazing. Naomi Harris is amazing. Um, I think the movie has perhaps one of the most beautiful and heartwarming scenes in recent memory. Um, the scene where yeah. um, where Kevin, uh, that's his name, right? Yeah, Kevin mm-hmm. sees uh, Chiron back at the diner after all those years, and he goes and he puts that song up on the on the jukebox. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think personally, I think that's one of the most beautiful and moving scenes in, in uh, of the decade. If I had to put a list of some of my top scenes of the decade, I think that would probably be in the top five. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's very moving. I mean, it's also shout out to Miami, film down here. Yes, that's right. Um, that's right. I actually didn't. I didn't notice the the significance of the water until you mentioned it. Really, it, it actually well, plays a really big role. Yeah. Watch, watch that. Movie. Watch that movie again with, yeah. with with that in mind, and you'll see. 
I mean, um, I watched it once, and it's one of those movies that you're like, man, I, I can't watch it again. It's just so, like, I don't want to go through this person's struggle again. Like, it's so real. And, um, but, but by the end, like you said, when, you know, all that, you know, drama happens and, and that self-discovery happens, when they meet up again, it's just like, wow, like, you actually feel for these two people, like, it's it's wonderful, man. Mm-hmm, absolutely, it's brilliant. Um, like you know, like uh, I saw this on Letterbox. One of the reviews said that um, this is like the film version of the meme. It's like Boyhood uh, talking to Moonlight, and it's like, "What are you?" And then Moonlight's like, "I'm you, but stronger." <laughs> <laughs> and I think like it kind of does a disservice to Boyhood, but it's true. <laughs> like, I mean, I Mo- saw I saw Moonlight first, and I was like. Yeah, I'm not watching Boyhood. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Richard Linklater. I, I, he's one of my mm. favorite directors. But, I mean, Moonlight is a better Boyhood. I mean, Boyhood just has that, like, you know, film throughout, like, 12 years or however many it was. Um, mm. You know, kind of, like, elevating it and stuff. But I think as a film, just Moonlight works better. Um, yeah. So that's my number two, Moonlight. I mean, my number three, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. My number three now is speaking of when i mentioned uh whiplash was um damien chazelle's debut number three i have an even better debut jordan peele's get out 2017 wow um the same way you you said that hereditary is the best uh horror film or it could be one of the best horror films of all time um I consider Get Out to be one of the most, um, not only successful, but socially poignant and just right on the money. Like everything about this film is, I would consider perfect. Can I say something before you continue? Yes, yes, yes. I am of the opinion that this is one of the most overrated films of the decade. Okay. I understand it. I understand it. I I understand that, you know, people can have very wrong opinions. Uh, <laughs> You've been waiting for no, that. No, 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 You've been no. waiting for that moment. No, that's okay, man. Like, it's cool, man. Like, I think, you know, not every movie is going to hit everybody the same way, man. Like, I, I have strong opinions on Marvel movies. I have strong opinions on, you know, whatever. Like, everybody's going to have film is a subjective thing like you know you either connect with it or you don't and i think get out is is it could suffer from overhype because it is it's become a cultural phenomenon the same way the exorcist became a a a cultural phenomenon or whatever like i think get out in a time at least you know culturally now um i think it it sends a really strong and powerful message of this is what goes on in our country. Um, and it doesn't happen everywhere, but it happens in certain places. Um, maybe even in the media you see something like this or whatever. I think Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele's use of visuals is fantastic. I think the acting from Daniel Kaluuya is... Kaluuya or Kalua or... I think it's Kaluuya, but I'm not sure, honestly. I'm not sure. I know Kaluuya or Kalua is a drink, 
I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be disrespectful. <laughs> uh, I think he'll understand. Um, but he's great in the film. He's a great actor. Um, man, that scene when he, when he's sitting uh, uh, in front of Mary Steenburgen and she's just like hypnotizing him, and the just like the tears are are running down his face, and he's like, I, I can't move, and it's just like. Oh. Oh my god, like this guy's killing it right now. And um and it's such a great concept. Not like culture and um uh society issues aside, I think it's a great concept for a horror movie. I think it's it, it's a, a rich white affluent family um who um they trick, you know, uh black men and women to their homes or whatever to to uh operate on them so that their brains and their essence can be removed from their bodies so that white powerful people can be inserted into them and they can live longer being in this youthful powerful body or, or what they deem to be like the superior body or whatever the hell like I don't know like it's just a strange concept uh that I think is perfect for especially a black man in America to, to make that statement through a horror movie. I think it says a lot for horror movies. Like you, it can be more than just this, like there's a haunted house and there's a kid at the, uh, like in the basement and whatever, like a ghost or whatever the fuck, like horror movies can be so much more. They can say so much more. You just have to be a little bit more creative and be willing to Agreed. take a risk, you know, on, you know, and they took a risk on Jordan Peele, a guy who isn't known for doing horror. A guy who's known for doing primarily great comedies, you know what I mean? Like, well, um, if like back, um, I forgot what podcast I was listening to, but they were, ta- they were talking to Jordan Peele before mm-hmm. Get Out released. Uh, it right. was either before or right when, and you know they were talking to him about you know his departure and you know the you know the end of Kia Peele, and he basically said that he had been wanting to do horror for a very long time. He says horror is by far his favorite genre of film and filmmaking and that he's always wanted to make his own horror film right so um even though he's known as a comedic actor i think horror has always really been his true passion sure i don't deny that man is a swiss army knife though that what i'm sorry the man is a swiss army knife he can do a little bit yeah he is man yeah man he is uh, and it's just surprising to me i don't deny that he has that that he's always had that passion i just it's just surprising to me that they a studio, uh, I think it was Blumhouse, right? I believe Blumhouse, so. Uh, you know, took a chance on him and and his idea. So I was like, man, this is this is great to see. Like a guy who isn't known for horror, but has always had that passion. They give him, you know, the opportunity to really show out. And man, it is it is so good, man. Just the just the little like nuances of the film too. Like like you know when when uh the main character is like uh trapped in the chair and he notices like uh that scene where where there's like cotton coming out of the the uh the chair oh and yeah. he uses that to like plug his ears so that he won't get hypnotized and shit like i thought visually like there's like subtle things like that uh call back to times in in life when cotton was a uh you know a very significant part of, you know, slavery and stuff. So there's just like little things there that are just like, wow, like 
little subtle nuances that I didn't pick up on until like the second time watching. I'm like, wow, like, okay, like there's a lot being said here that I need to dive into. And it's still like, there's still stuff that I, even if I watch it now, I might discover new things that I, you know, the fact that Mary Steenburgen's, you know, weapon of choice, weapon, quote unquote, is like the silver spoon on the tea, you know, and that's what she uses to hypnotize people. I, th I think it's, I think it's, man, it's awesome, dude. It's, it's, it, there, there's a lot that, this is a film that could be studied in, in, in film classes and stuff. So, uh, but I do see why you would say it's overrated. People take something that's great and they just fucking run with it until they can't run anymore. And, you know, they're running into the ground. Like, I love the script behind it. I think it's genius. I think the screenplay mm -hmm. for this film is a, legitimately a stroke of genius. Um, and I think, you know, um, all the messages and, you know, the themes that it tackles, you know, the whole race um, situation mm -hmm. that's going on in the film and whatnot, I think is, is really well done. But I think just about everything about this film rather than the script and its messages and the acting, um, I think it's just pretty bland, in my opinion. I don't mm. really don't think it's anything special outside of everything I just stated, you know. I don't think the cinematography right. is anything outstanding, um, I think it looks kind of, you know, almost plainish looking at times. Um, but it is, I, I will say it is a great film, but I do think it is, I do think it is overrated. Um, but okay, you know, it's a good fair. choice. It's a good choice on the list. That's fair. That's fair. Now my number two is pretty controversial. Oh, and boy. it's, and even I am kind of like at. Like I, I like I, I'm not happy with myself for putting this up here, because it's not even like if we're doing like if I'm talking about like my favorites, this is nowhere near my list. But I cannot deny the impact that it's had over the film industry. And my number two is 2012's The Avengers. Well, I had it on my list, so I'm there yeah, with but you. you had yours at number <laughs> ten. Yeah, I can't argue with you there, buddy. I just realistically, I can't look at you know, the list of films that came out this decade and I can't put any of these other films over the Avengers. Mm. The Avengers made cinematic universes cool. It made Godzilla want his own universe. It made the fucking universal monsters want their own universe. It made DC try to make their own universe at the expense of making good films. Everyone <laughs> and their mother wants a cinematic universe and that is all because of the Avengers 2012. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter what you think about the film personally i think it's i loved it when it came out don't get me wrong i was like in the height of my teenage years i had loved the marvel comics and marvel films so when avengers came out it blew my fucking mind however now like looking back on it rewatching it um i do think it is probably the most boring from a visual sense um i think the cinematography is pretty bland i think there's no really good use of color uh, I think there's a lot of like weird Dutch angles and lens flares that I think are just kind of annoying. Um, visually, it looks almost like a television series or like a direct-to-TV uh, film. Um, but with that aside, I think what the film does do well is handle all these characters. Um, their interactions, I think, are, at the time, incredibly refreshing and unique. The way yeah. they can take all these heroes from all these different movies and kind of blend them together almost seamlessly, I think it's something that, that no one had ever seen before. 
and really it propelled this franchise to Star Wars level, you know, fandom and Star Wars level cultural influence. And yeah. I don't know when the next time we're going to see something like this is. I think Game of Thrones probably became the closest. And we saw, I, really, I think Game of Thrones lost all cultural relevance once season eight came out. And people saw how bad it was. I don't, like, I don't think Game of Thrones will ever be looked at in the same way again. I think halfway through season eight, they were like, okay, you know. But I think there was still like, I mean, I remember, man, people were getting together like to watch, you know, the season premiere of, of season eight of uh, Game of Thrones. Like, I did. Hell, I, I saw the first like three episodes of the group of people. Yeah. And people were oof, not happy after <laughs> after what episode? I mean, the finale, really. But whatever. We'll talk about Game of Thrones another day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the MCU, you know, is a testament to consistency you know, say what you will about, you know, their films and whatnot. And I know the fandom, you know, is pretty divisive amongst people, like all fandoms are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a film to captivate the world on a scale like this, I just don't see how it cannot be, you know, in someone's top three. I think, you know, like I said, all filmmaking and all that, all that shit aside, I think it's cultural impact cannot be denied and if it wasn't for my number one film this would be my number one film okay so, all right that's my number two the avengers 2012 you prefer you prefer the the short-haired thor where he's swinging an axe and drinking beer and he has a a gut that's the kind of marvel movie you like right not uh, the not the good <laughs> not the good marvel movies right <laughs> i mean i disagree man i think all the other <laughs> avengers movies Besides Age of Ultron, are better than the original Avengers. Um, Infinity War and Endgame, so the, I think, are better than the first Avengers. Infinity War, Civil War is a Captain America movie, but come on, I mean, it's oh okay, Avengers yeah, we'll movie. throw Civil War in there. Uh, we'll throw in there. Um, I don't know, man. I really like the Avengers. I I haven't seen uh, the other Avengers more than maybe twice. Um, but I've I just saw this Avengers one recently, and I man, I, I got to tell you, man, I. I, I love it. It's not riddled with jokes. There are some problematic moments. Uh, the main difference that I see um, is just, man, Mark Ruffalo. I mean, his character, Bruce Banner, is is used to be so taken so serious. He used to be such a brooding character. He used to be a guy who was dark and really saw no hope in himself and really was trying to control this thing within him. Like, he was a a, man, a troubled man. Then you cruise on over to Thor Ragnarok, and he's like, what's going on? And he's just like a bumbling <laughs> idiot. And I'm like, what are you doing to this fucking character who was awesome, who was like the only grounded character that you had in the MCU? Like, what are you, what are you doing? I agree. I think... I think uh, Bruce Banner and Hulk was ha- at his peak in the first avengers yeah and that's 100%. the only that's the only uh that's the first time mark ruffalo um showed up in the, in the marvel movies and oh it has not been good ever since man <laughs> not been good but anyway all right so what's your number two we should have a marvel episode we should we should <laughs> i mean hey maybe we won't we won't rule that out down the line once like black widow or eternals you know comes out yes sir so what's your okay. number two my number two from 2016, 
and it's my final Gosling movie. I bet you think you know what I'm going to say. No, I know what you're going to say. What is it? The Nice Guys. Yes, sir. <laughs> I knew Let's it. Let's go. <laughs> Woo! I knew it. I love that. Dude, movie. I'm so glad you put it on this list. Dude, I... I love this movie. I've seen this movie about the same times that I've seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think I've seen it like seven times, maybe. And I swear to you, I'm going to watch it as soon as we're done here. Like, I love that movie so much. Coming from the director, Shane Black, and it's Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling in the 70s being, you know, uh, what would you call it? Private investigators. And for two guys who are not known for their comedy, they give some of the best comedic performances of the last 10 years. It's embarrassing to watch any other comedy that you see like that comes out in the last few years because it's the same old shit. It's recycled. It's not fresh. It's the same kind of comedy. Even Marvel movies have that same kind of comedy. It's that awkward, like, oh, like stumbling dialogue. You know, it's just like... All right, let's do something else. Nice Guys is so refreshing. It's like a throwback. It's an odd couple. It's perfect, man. It's a good fucking time. Gosling, this is his best performance. I I put it above everything else he's done. I would I would agree with that, honestly. I think he's so he's, <laughs> he's such a good comedic actor. He whenever, needs to do more comedic roles. Whenever he shrieks, it's the <laughs> most <laughs> so goddamn funny dude i don't he's, man, a great, he's, a great, never... he's great with physical comedy too yes man he's perfect dude like he's you see things in this movie that are like not uh you wouldn't expect to see and the chemistry between russell crowe and, and ryan gosling man oh fantastic oh my god you talk about like uh recently you said uh not recently but just now you're talking about the avengers and it's it's the thing that that made franchises cool you talk about a movie that like need like needs a sequel and sequel and sequel after that like the nice guys is a thing that needs a franchise and it was supposed to be a franchise but they got beat out by fucking angry birds so you know in oh, the box god. office so that's right i remember there you reading go. that oh my god to get like just one more movie with these guys man is it's perfect man i love everything about this movie it's hilarious uh the main plot is can be a little bit, you know, contrived and kind of, you know, out of left field and not make a lot of sense. But I just honestly don't care. It, it's almost like secondary to, to everything else happening. You just want to see these two characters interact and sort of, you know, make fun of each other. And God damn it. I love this movie, dude. <laughs> it is a great film. It is a wonderful It's wonderful so film. good, man. It's so good. Margot, uh... Margaret Quale. How do you pronounce her name? She was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. She's uh, she played that hippie. Uh, I know you're obviously not talking about Margot Robbie. I don't. I, I don't no, 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 no. Uh, Margot Quale or something like that. I don't know. Margaret. Margaret Quale. I don't know something like that. <laughs> She's good in it. Um, who else is in this? Uh, honestly, can't even remember. <laughs> Gosling and Crow are, are the best part of this film, obviously. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, man, it's so crazy that a lot of people haven't seen this movie. Like, it is by far 
one of the best comedies that I've ever seen in my entire life. I would agree with that. It still makes me laugh, having seen it seven times. I would agree with that. So um, I'm going to try Let's try to do this last one pretty quick because it's been two hours. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Yeah. Damn it. We did it again. Time flies when you're having fun, man. Oh, my God. We did it again. So my number one, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. I think this is the definitive film of the decade, not just from a filmmaking perspective, but from a cultural and societal perspective. Can I guess? Yes. Joker. Absolutely. <laughs> it's Ford versus Ferrari, bro. Ah! <laughs> I kid, I kid. My number one film of the 2010s is David Fincher's The Social Network. Ooh, that is a good fucking choice. I think this is the film of the 2010s. I think this film encompasses, you know, what our generation is. And, you know, what it became, you know, the whole social media craze, um, mm-hmm. the whole, I don't want to say lust for power, but I guess power getting into people's heads. Um, I think, you know, this is the film that defines our generation. Um, I think f- this film is, like I said about, um, about was it It's Such a Beautiful Day? I don't remember which one I said it about, but I think that this film is a perfect movie legitimately i think david fincher does a wonderful job of you know bringing aaron sorkin's script to life i think jesse eisenberg is amazing in this film justin timberlake you know gives a surprisingly good performance he's a pretty good actor um he's solid rooney mara is good army hammer is good but i think the standout performance of this film i think has to go to andrew garfield who kind of showed the world that like hey you know i can actually act And I don't really think he's done anything big since Hacksaw Ridge came out in 2016, which is a shame because he is amazing in silence. I don't know if you've seen Martin Scorsese's Silence, but... I haven't, no. I haven't seen it. He is really, 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 really fucking good in that movie, man. Yeah, Um, man. uh, But I think, like I said, I just think the social network just manages to capture you know what this what this decade was literally in the first year of it yeah oh yeah it came out in 2010 <laughs> yeah, that's crazy it came out in 2010 and it really yeah. it really encompasses you know what the what this that generation what the generation right after it was and yeah. you know really like you know the blow up and of social media and how reliant people are and how it affects our lives and whatnot and it's just it, it's perfect. I legitimately think it's a perfect film, and that's that's my number one uh, of the decade. Very solid number one. Very solid. Uh, my number one is gonna come out of left field, and it's from twenty thirteen. Um, it's called Prisoners. Ooh, interesting. By Denise Villeneuve. Uh, compared to Arrival, compared to. Blade Runner 2049 compared to Enemy. I don't think this is... um, There's a better story told than Prisoners. Not just amongst his own films, but of all the films that I've seen of the past 10 years, no film has been... has has told a better story, has, has, like, rocked me to my core and, like 
tricked me and it's it's very reminiscent of like Zodiac or uh Silence of the Lambs, Seven, um just great serial killer movies. And this film, by God, is so fucking perfect from start to finish. Intr the introductions to characters are solid and you think, oh, well, I know who this person is. By the end of it, you're like, holy fucking shit. I swear to you, every single person that I've told to watch this movie, I tell them, hey, man. And I don't say this a lot to people. Like, oh, you need to watch this movie. You need to. No, you need to watch Prisoners if you have never seen it. And if you love that kind of movie, you love thrillers. By the end of it, you will say, holy shit. And fucking nine times out of or ten times out of ten, they go, holy shit. It is a wonderful told, wonderfully told story. It's unpredictable. And it's 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 the movie that I. If I recommend any movie, if I can only watch one movie, it would either be Prisoners or Nice Guys. Damn. But not but you know, I'm gonna go with Prisoners. I think it's it's just perfect. I think it should be studied. I think it should be studied in classes. I think it, it's just perfect, man. It's just wonderful. It's dark, obviously. You know I like my dark shit. <laughs> Here um, we go. Hugh Jackman's amazing. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal's amazing. The cast is surprisingly... So, this is the best cast of that year. Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, the kid from 13 Reasons Why. I can never remember his name. Um, Terrence Howard, Viola Davis. Terrence um, Howard is in that movie? Yes, and Viola Davis, and Paul Dano, who, oh my God. Most underrated actor ever. So good in this film. He's fantastic. Better or on par with his performance in There Will Be Blood. He is so fucking good in this movie. Please watch Prisoners if you haven't. Whoever's listening, please, please. I'm talking to you. You watch prisoners. Do it. Ah, all right. I'm done. I'm sweating. <laughs> oh man. All righty. So that pretty much concludes the episode. It was a good episode. You know, long one. We, yeah, went we talked about a lot of good movies. Talked about twenty different movies. Well, twenty two. Counting my honorable mentions. I'm gonna rattle off a bunch of movies that I wish I could mention. Here we go. Um, twenty one Jump Street, Django, Place Beyond the Pines, Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, 12 Years a Slave, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Foxcatcher, Ex Machina, uh, okay, Spotlight, uh, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, Fences, Edge of Seventeen, Deadpool, Lady Bird, fucking love Lady Bird, Good Time, Wind River, Great Wonder movie. Woman, Brawl in Cell Block 99, please watch this movie. Uh, Gerald's Game, the best Stephen King adaptation. Yes, I'm including It. I think It sucks. We'll get into that in another episode. And Suspiria, wonderful movie Suspiria? from 2018. Yes. Ew. Yes, love that movie. I hate Anyways, that movie. <laughs> love that movie. All right. Woo! So that's like 40 films now. Yes. <laughs> sorry, to, <laughs> sorry to cut. <laughs> sorry, I just had to mention it. I'm done now. I'm done for real. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that is uh, me and JP's list of our top 10 films of the 2010s. Cool little bonus episode for you guys. Stay tuned. Um, John will be back next week, unfortunately. No, not even next week. John and no? I will be reviewing uh, 
Bad Boys 3 and The Gentleman. Uh, that episode will probably be out in the next couple of days. Perfect. Followed by an extra special episode. Uh, we're going to be giving our our Oscar predictions so you can hear me nail every single one of them. And that'll be coming, <laughs> obviously, before the Oscars, probably Thursday morning. So uh, stay tuned and thanks for listening. Peace.